Hi, and welcome to another episode of Gomology, a podcast about clothes and stuff. Increasingly about stuff, in fact. And uh, my guest today is, in fact, my little sister. Emma, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Nick's... Uh, I'm going to have to call him Nick today. Uh, little sister. I'm Emma. I am uh, 40 years old. I live in Oslo. I have a partner, two children, a cat and a dog, and I'm also a clinical psychologist. And the reason I invited you, Emma, is that you have been in the Norwegian media about social media, idols, appearances, and the psychology around that. And I thought that would make a good topic for the podcast. Yes. Yes. Let's see, shall we? <laughs> we can start there. Yeah. So what are you curious about, Nicky? I'm going to have to call him Nick, but usually I call him Nicky. So this is a bit weird. Straight off the bat, it's really awkward. Yes. Well, I wanted to talk a bit about the way we portray ourselves on social medias and the increasingly extreme ways that people portray themselves and I'm not typically talking about middle-aged men in this case but say teenage girls and maybe increasingly teenage boys yeah so uh, generally speaking there's a sort of slightly worrying trend in that a lot of people will seek out the attention to sort of improve their self-image. They, they have this idea that if I post a really great picture of myself, I'll feel better. Uh, studies are coming in already, um, showing more that the, no matter what response you get, it's actually a negative outcome, uh, you know, uh, on how you regard your own appearance, the satisfaction with your own appearance, because it makes just photographing yourself and posting it um, and we'll have to hear how you experience this, Nick, afterwards. But uh, generally speaking, does sort of make people more self-aware. And we humans, we don't like being very self-aware. We only like being it when we're learning something new. You know, when I was learning to play tennis this autumn, for example, I'm very self-aware. I'm always constantly sort of monitoring where's my arm, where's my other arm, where's my legs. And it's all very overwhelming. And it's unpleasant and stressful, but it's it's useful when I have to learn something. But uh, if it becomes a part of my constant everyday life that I'm always aware of how I look, it becomes this very uh, anxiety-ridden state. And this is enhanced by photographing myself and posting it on social media. I'm sort of constantly reflecting on my own appearance in a way that doesn't make me feel any better about it, even if the whole world's telling me that I'm beautiful. Yeah. Does that sort of resonate with your experiences? I'm, I'm clearly very uh, self-unaware because, <laughs> because <laughs> I don't really reflect much on what I look like at all. Um, if I do take, when I take photos, I don't say if, because I do pretty much daily take some photos, um, I will take a whole bunch of them, find the one that is least crappy and post it. Yeah. Uh, and the rest of the day, I don't really think much about what I look like at all. No. But do you sort of like, uh, now I'm, of course, uh, asking you questions, which is maybe not what you want. But <laughs> but do you sort of then think, this is the thing, I think that people just probably wouldn't respond to you saying like, 
gosh, you're handsome. My God, what a chiseled chin you've got on this picture. Or, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't know. I mean, uh, do the people comment back on your appearance and not your clothes? In general, not. No. Uh, that might be an age-related thing. Um, Middle-aged really. men uh, are not really uh, that commented on in the same way as, say, a teenage girl. Well, if you sort of say follow people like uh, some might some of us two might like The Rock, for example, or Terry Crews, for example, on Instagram. Um, not let's not get any further into those. <laughs> Why I don't know, but they do get comments on their appearances because, of course, they're inviting to it. They're sort of wearing. They're taking pictures of themselves working out, you know, and people will comment on them in a buffness, I don't know, sort of general state muscles. I'm sure when I get round to my swimwear photos, um, there will mm. pick up more comments then. But, of course, that's not going to happen. No. So I think it's, it's sort of in the context of that I'm inviting compliments to on my appearance. And interestingly enough, I think there is a certain gender difference. I don't know any research on it. But just sort of personal experience is that if I've ever been in me, the media for anything at all, not something I frequently do, it is astounding, even though I'm going there in a professional capacity, talking about things that I have to do with my job. And I'm just I'm just there to just focus on what the, the words that come out of my mouth aren't total nonsense. That's all I'm focusing on, uh, is trying to make sense. And yet an overwhelming majority of the feedback I get from people I know afterwards will be on my appearance. Oh. You total hottie, you. Yeah, gosh, you looked pretty. And then it's like, well, that really wasn't, you know, any part of what I was focusing on. <laughs> so, uh, so I think there's, there's a sort of thing that maybe women just generally get a lot more of that. And it does, I mean, I don't find it, it's sort of, I mean, okay, it's nice to hear to some level. But on the other hand, if I was doing it a lot, like if that was a part of my daily existence I think I'd, it would be quite easy to start getting a bit more you know interested in what sort of things is it people are focusing on you know and, and make sure that I have at least that and is there anything that people you know are not focusing on? you know I, I can I can see how that could become something that suddenly fills fo the focus a bit more you know mm. And if people are actually, that's the content they're putting out and that's the content they're getting feedback on, that is going to make them much, much more aware of their appearance in a way that is just the negative way. I mean, it's not, we don't really, the best way we can relate to our appearance is often without thinking too much about it, you know. Hmm. In the, you know. Why do you think people are so keen to post photos on social media? There's a lot of talk about the serotonin boost from getting lots of likes and comments. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing is, of course, that it's a way of creating connection with other people. I mean, that it's a way of saying, hello, I'm here. Are you out there? And then people can go, hi, I'm out here too. The only problem is that this sort of, it's sort of, the only way of saying hello is pick, taking a picture, right? Hmm. So... um 
So I think for I think for a lot of people it is has to do with creating connection. It's just that the way we're doing it is just so visual. And then it that it doesn't really work very well. I don't know. That's my opinion. Hmm. But do you think people get hooked on the on the feedback? Well, I think the feedback is definitely a certain sort of reward in it because that's the connection that's driving you, right? When people answer and respond, it's like, hey, great. There's somebody else out there. I was calling out and somebody answered. Hmm. So it's like getting a 250 fist bumps or yeah. high fives and you think, yeah, that's good. We've got this wonderful piece of graffiti on the wall beside the library here in town of this guy who's clearly posted something on social media and gets zero feedback. I'll, I'll have to post a photo of my story when this comes out. But it's it's quite clear that he is living for the virtual love he gets back and experiences a total crisis of confidence when he gets nothing. Yeah. It's like I don't exist. It's like I'm invisible. Yeah. And we see more and more that young people are seeing being an influencer or a YouTuber is a career and to stay on top of your game there you have to cosmetically enhance yourself and yeah. do various tricks to turn yourself into <laughs> well they are increasingly looking the same increasingly looking like some sort of cartoon figure yeah less human more cartoon yeah so that can't be a healthy thing. No, and the interesting thing is, of course, they don't sort of see it themselves because I think it's sort of, uh, you know, small increments uh, stepping into their life and making them sort of, you know, they'll do a bit and then, oh, good response, and then they get used to it and they'll do a bit and they don't kind of over time see that they're sort of actually, you know, going quite far away from what, what normal is you know it's getting more and more extreme um and i think for some of them i think it, it it's you know i mean one thing is changing your appearance in the way where you add a filter you know i mean that's not actually what you look like it just you know it's just actually it's the shop front that's manipulated but it's not actually changing them but the other thing is of course people who actually change their own appearance in daily life and uh, and I think there it's just that they they're sort of hunting for this this feeling of improvement, you know. The little kick we get when we see that something's improved on you, and it feels good. Um, and I think and that little sort of boost, that sort of emotional boost, is well that sort of hunts people. So they you know they put a bit of filler, and then the first time it's this kick. And then they're sort of hunting the kick again, which means they have to put a bit more in and then a bit more. And then slowly they're sort of changing into something more freakish over time. But they themselves are just, they think they're going back to the baseline every time. They think that every time they come back to their the eyelash supplier or the, or the fake tan play salon or the, you know, they get, they, they, they've gone back to baseline. That's their inner experience. I'm back at where I was started doing this. You know, I've, it's worn off and now I'm back to baseline. And then they're just adding the same thing. 
That's their experience. They're adding the same thing. But for everybody else sitting on the sidelines, they're just sort of slowly getting more and more changed, you know, into something that's getting more and further and further away from what they used to look like, further and further what looks natural. But to them, they're not. They don't have that experience. And, of course, this isn't only lips and wrinkles and Botox. It's boobs and butts and liposuction and... Yeah. And, and of course, you have to keep increasing... Can, you, can I say the amount of skin you show to get the sort of response and keep gaining more and more adoring followers? Yeah. I see some of the sort of top Norwegian um, influencers now. I mean, hardly a day's go by without you seeing their butt. Yeah. No, I don't follow them, so I don't really know that. But I've heard <laughs> tell that it's yeah, so. a terrible tale of butts. Yes, daily butts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, I, I mean, it's this, I mean, I think it's this sort of chasing this sort of um, reward. I mean, it's a very simple theory, and I, I in a sense, uh, think that life is and people are usually much more complex. But in this instance, we're sort of interacting with a very simple interface. We're just, I mean, you're not interacting with real feedback from real people in front of you where one might give you a sort of nuanced opinion, you know, or nuanced reaction. They're just dealing with a computer program that's just telling them, you know, likes. Mm. And then and 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 then they're trying to interpret that in a way that that serves their their life in the moment. And it and and things get quickly quite weird, it seems like. Where do you think that will end up? Who knows? I mean, will they at some point reach a sort of peak? Um, peak when? Something or, or just burn out? Well, I think a lot of them, I, people do burn out. I mean, because, I mean, whether it is the people who are just sort of exposing their bodies and eventually there is nothing left to expose that's allowed to show. Uh, or whether it's the people creating content, you know, that these people who are living in their vans going around creating these all these travel experiences now of course they're not so much the past year but but the the stress of having to maintain the producing all this content and trying to maintain you know people think that this is just going to go up and up and up and up you know and and eventually people might realize that, that it's not you know it's it's plateauing and then it's descending and then we have to get you know a new gig I have noticed the fatigue that comes from trying to create more content than you actually are able to. And I also have seen people who are trying to make continuous content, uh, whereby you realize very quickly that they're spending so much time creating content that they're not actually experiencing anything. No. So they are running dry very quickly. Yeah, I think this idea that you could just go on the internet and have a really comfy life and make lots of money. I think I think we're starting to see that that isn't quite as easy as it seemed. You know, just get yourself a van and a camera, a sleeping bag in the back. You just drive around, snap, snap, snap. It'll pay for itself. It's cushy, you know. I mean, too, too many people are in it now. 
and it's be- become professionalized in a way that I don't think it's as easy as it was. I think it's the sort of gold rush syndrome that once yeah. people enough people heard there was gold to be found, there's not much land left to prospect. No, no. So I think, uh, yeah, I th- I think that it will slowly die and we'll get something else. We'll get a new social media platform. Yeah. And then, I mean, I don't know anything about these things, but I did read these predictions that we're going to go over to a more audio platform. We're going to go away from the visual. Um, yes, I've heard about that. Um, so how would social media look in, in the audio format? People all go, all hail. I think, it's, I think it's less about collecting likes, but more about creating communities of various sizes yeah. so that everyone's going to be sitting there being self-important all day instead, yeah. proclaiming stuff. Oh, but they're already doing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I can't personally see where it's going to end up, but um, no, you're making me re- reconsider my sins. <laughs> And that was not my intention. So, uh, well, you've put me firmly in my place. <laughs> now, another thing I wanted to talk to you a bit about, uh, something that has become very apparent in this period, which we're not going to name by name because I'm a bit fed up of hearing about it, yeah. but people are sitting at home and all the companies who provide stuff to people are a bit nervous because they're worried people aren't shopping but what we see is that even more than ever people are buying stuff yeah but are they buying the same stuff yeah well i think outdoor gear yeah is being bought in huge amounts by people who are stuck at home yeah definitely Mm. uh people are buying lots and lots of clothes and stuff but are they buying sort of high fashion clothes i think Type. All sorts of expensive shit. Okay. Well, they're not, I mean, they've got free capital, you know, the people aren't spending money on other things. But Is it the joy of receiving a parcel? Well, I mean, I, I, I would certainly say that that is a strong motivator for, personally for me to for internet shopping because it's like getting a Christmas present, you know, from myself. <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of... <laughs> I feel like I'm getting a present every time I go out to the post box and there's a package there, which is probably quite uh, pathological. Yeah. I, I have I have a slight problem with this because I often find that buyer's remorse sets in before it's even been shipped. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'm trying to sort of insert a sort of delay before I buy things. Then I have to think about them for a day or something like that. I, I'm sort of thinking about maybe implementing this system. <laughs> just sort of slowing it down because at certain times a day I think sort of past 10 p.m or something like that there's a definite lack of critical thinking I think that might just be sort of delaying the process to make it all the sweeter when you finally receive something but humans do have this thing about I think and I think it must be something that has come more in modern times when it is so easy to buy stuff Mm that there is this, again, like likes on social media, mm. that serotonin hit, Actually, uh, some it's dope, joy. Actually, dopamine thing. Yeah, it's all about okay. the dopamine. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. that's me told. Yeah, yes. But there is a sort of hit there, but 
the interesting thing is, of course, if we could get that from other ways, you know, and and whether that is really always the motivation, because I think sometimes, I mean, sometimes in itself, it is a reward. We all, not everybody likes new thing though, things, though. That is interesting, though. No, you have the people who like the old things. Yes. Yeah, but I mean, like new old things. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, yes. But then you have people who don't like uh, the new, you know, as in even if it's something old, they'll just not enjoy it. But um, but I think there's a sort of rush in it, but I think a lot of sort of sh- internet shopping type, shopping, shopping, is also a sort of emotional avoidance from other discomforts, you know. It's like... It's a, it's a sure hit, you know. It's a sure something that'll pick me up. Uh, retail therapy, you know, the jokey term retail therapy, like uh, everything else is going to hell. So let's uh, have some fun, you know. I'm sure the guy who thought up that was well paid because it's the, it's the stupidest thing I've heard. Well, one of the stupidest things. And that's something I've talked about before on the podcast, the way that we keep beating ourselves up about being suckers for marketing or for buying more stuff than we need. But then we realize that, or some of us realize that there's a whole industry working in marketing. They've got PhDs in marketing. There's people, massive computer simulations. There's so much science in this marketing. And here we are one person being, marketed to and you succumb to it and then you're the sucker and I'm thinking yeah. uh, it's not really fair to beat yourself up about that all the time yeah and also I don't think also it I don't think it can't just I mean this is a pretty basic phenomenon that we like new stimulus I mean we just enjoy it. I mean I, I'm sure if we'd sat at the window we'd see birds doing the same thing or you know animals doing the same thing I mean there is a sort of joy over something new that that within a, a sort of capitalistic concept becomes very much buying but i think it has always been there i mean we we were buying ribbons in the 1700s or something you know uh, i'm just thinking about how the dogs enjoy when i take them to a place where they haven't been before so they have new new things to sniff and new flavors to lick and whatever so yeah i mean there's a joy of exploring things i think what we're seeing now though is that that the sort of consumerist culture has is so surrounded us and especially in the digital world which is of course with everything going on very much more our world than it usually is uh where things become sort of it becomes this buy and sell market, you know, because uh, we're not able to go to a new country to explore or to a new restaurant to explore or, you know, or learn a new hobby or meet new people or other ways of exploring the world. Uh, So it becomes, what can I buy that's exploring? And of course, things are still being made, marketed and sold. Yeah. Yeah. And you have all the companies who are saying, oh, please buy more stuff because otherwise we're going to go under. Yeah. So you are doing a sort of philanthropic yes. know, good deed by buying stuff. Yes. It feels twice as good. Yes. 
I've had that sometimes now when I go to some tiddly little shop, you know, some local shop or some local producer or some small internet shop, you know, and I, I'll get this sort of, I am doing good vibe, you know. <laughs> good work. <laughs> yes. Because, I mean, one of the things that really gets me is how only very rich people are allowed to call themselves investors or philanthropists. Those are sort of work titles reserved for the insanely rich. And I have sort of personally thought that I'm going to reclaim them slightly, you know. You can be a micro-philanthropist. I'm going to be a micro-philanthropist. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I go to my local ceramicist, you know, buying bits and bobs, feeling I'm doing good. Yeah. Artisan ceramics, being a good consumer. Well, we are living in the late-stage capitalism, so... Um... Does that mean it's the end stage? Yeah, I think it is pretty much the end stage, yeah, because if everything's going to keep growing at the rate it is, with the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer, there's going to be a revolution. Yeah, no wonder we're all enjoying uh, movies, series about the apocalypse. I mean, there is a sort of yearning for the apocalypse, you know. Well, that sort of neatly brings us over to depression, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> which wasn't going to be a topic yeah. but I did, I did want to talk to you a bit about hobbies yeah because we come from a family where or at least the kids are generally quite keen on hobbies and stuff yeah that is the interesting thing isn't it though because our parents not rich on hobbies but we as siblings we've really gone to town on that well, that sounded a bit wrong. <laughs> How many hobbies have you had? I mean, we could make a list. And I think we've got pretty much, you know, the sort of, if you ask the man on the street, what kind of hobbies what does one have? I mean, apart from model engines, to sort of steam train things, you know, what's it called when people have that as a hobby? They build model trains. Yeah, none of us have done that. Have we? I was about to say I haven't, but yeah, no, I don't think we have, no. No, but you did you did model aeroplanes. I did. Yeah. Anything else model? Small scale? I did do model trains, but electric. Electric. <laughs> 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 See? And cars. But, you've done model cars too, somehow. You've got some. Yeah, yeah. I've, yeah. I've been in, into many things, yes. Stamps? But, Stamps? Oh, very, very briefly, very briefly. My attention span for boring hobbies was very short. Uh, short. Yeah, see, the, the definition of boring hobbies, yes. <laughs> yeah, okay. So what were you going to say about hobbies? Well, I was going to ask you about your hobbies. Because you were very much into the hipster hobbies. Yes, I do find myself rather sort of uh, embarrassingly hipster at times, yeah. Yeah, we've got the fermenting. We've had the brewing. And your your bread, the uh, sourdough and the beekeeping and and the, uh, hens. and the hens, yeah, and quails at one point, yeah. What does this give you, apart from obviously eggs <laughs> and honey? <laughs> well, the whole hens I actually really miss because they were just this beautiful cycle thing where I'd nip out with my scraps after breakfast and uh, so I'd be giving them you know the surplus food that we wouldn't be eating that we'd be chucking out they'd you know throw themselves at it being all happy 
I got this boost of caring and being meaning, meaning and purpose and blah, 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 blah. And then they'd give me eggs and then they'd give me fertilizer for my garden because I also grow vegetables. So it was this sort of beautiful sort of, I'm almost singing the Lion King, you know, circle, you know, I'm not going to start singing because that'd be too embarrassing. No. Yeah. It's a bit like posting a, a hot photo on social media, isn't it? You get loads of likes, but you're getting them from the hens. I'm getting them from the hens. Uh, yes. Which is <laughs> also strangely gratifying, but doesn't make me feel concerned about my appearance. <laughs> yeah. So it's a win-win. Yeah. Yeah. I like the uh, hens. I'm going to go for the hens again. But when we got a dog and then uh, things got a bit busy. Yeah. But it's hmm. on my list. But the dog doesn't mind the bees. The dog doesn't mind the bees. No. They, she stays away from them. Now, this is where I want you to talk widely about all the cool things about bees. Well, the thing about the talking about all the cool things about bees is that uh, it's one of those things that I start doing and then I get very interested and then I sort of see people nodding off. But uh, bees are really fun. Yeah. Sherlock Holmes has bees. That's a good argument for getting bees. They're very interesting creatures. Do you have a problem giving up hobbies once they're not fun anymore? Well, especially if they involve living creatures, then it is a bit tricky because then it involves actually killing something or, you know, officially selling it to somebody else. Um, but do I have a problem giving up? I have a problem giving up on projects before I've started them. But I'm working on it. I'm sort of Marie Kondoing that because I, I, I did have a lot of... Uh, knitting, uh, textile, painting, crafts and arts and crafts things going on for many years. And then I had the children and I just didn't have neither energy or time for any of that. And then it, then I had this, uh, I had to work through the stopping projects, giving up on them. And, and that was a surprisingly emotional process of realizing that I had to sort of, no, I am never going to be this person that's going to do, paint this painting. You know, I'm never ever going to invest this much time in this. Uh, I'm not going to be that person. Um, and that was, a, yeah. Now I've sort of learned how to, to let go, but it was a thing of learning somehow, that it was okay to do it. I have a problem where I come up with too many ideas and then I'm really disappointed in myself for not following them through. Well, exactly. That was just the thing, you know. So I'm telling myself that I'm not good enough because I'm not doing it. But at the same time, sometimes the, the idea was the idea in itself. I wasn't actually that interested in doing the whole thing. I just liked the idea of it. I like the idea of having someone who will complete my projects for me. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Which leads me on to this idea that, that it would be kind of cool to have your own factory. <laughs> you know, speaking of capitalists <laughs> taking over the world, but it would only be kind a, of cool. To a certain level, though, because having a whole factory with lots of employees means yes, you have to be yeah, a lot of responsibilities. Of yeah, a lot of responsibilities. But, but on some level, I have often ideas for things I'd like to, to be made. But I don't want to start a company and go to somewhere and find a factory and make it. You know, I just want somebody else to do it. I just like coming up with ideas. 
Mm. What I need is a little sister who's really keen to complete all my projects, but um, yeah. sadly not. No. Or a big brother that can sew all the clothes for me that I want. Yeah. Yes. Now, a topic you wanted to bring up yeah. was shitty women's clothes. Yes. Yes, because that I mean I do find it very hard to find clothes that are good. I find that a lot of textiles used, especially in women's clothes, are just it, it, it's this, it, trying to buy something that doesn't contain any form of plastic is near impossible. And there's no it seems to be no connection with price tag and and textiles. Uh, and of course, the Norwegian market is much more a high street market with you don't have the there's no not much, a lot of hipster producers going around sitting there making their own things you're you're raising your eyebrows maybe you know them all but there's, there's there's certainly not a lot that i find you know on my daily path it was more um, the expression hipster producers so yeah raising well, my eyebrows. <laughs> well what, what would you call them artisanal textile suppliers yeah. Artisan and ethical yeah. craftsmen. Yes, craftsmen with small scale, you know. I mean, everything seems to be very high scale, uh, you know, high street. Fast fashion imported Fast fashion. from yeah. the Far East. Yeah. Nothing wrong with the Far East, but, you know. And uh, and a lot of plastic clothes. And I, it seems to me that with men's clothes, you can sort of, there's quite easy sort of, you go up a certain percent in price and suddenly there's a sort of quality element that you get uh, that's much more easily accessible that reflects both in the production quality but also the actual textiles they use. So it's a nicer product. And that sort of, model where you know i pay 30 percent more or something and i get this nice solid suit you know made out of wool or a nice shirt and it's specially tailored for me uh, that doesn't exist for women in the same way we can't go somewhere and just get the nice suit in wool i mean in england i presume they can but in norway we can't well if you're talking about tailoring i suppose there aren't so tailoring is sort of linked to men, isn't it? Yeah. For whatever reason. I suppose that is because men in general wear sort of suits more than women do. Which yeah, I suppose but... comes down to late stage feminism, to sort of coin a, a, a cool phrase, um, where... I mean, men are, have all, all the good jobs and need their suits and whatever, and hence the tailors are there to provide these for them. But, of course, suits are just one part of men's wear that generally tends to be better made than women's mm. wear. Uh, and I think, does that come down to differences between men and women? Are women sort of more, oh, look, a shiny dress, let me have it? Whilst men yeah. start sort of, well, I do need a pair of jeans. Let me spend two weeks now getting into this and finding out which pair of Japanese-made jeans are the ultimate and who can supply me with them from the other side of the world. And most of all, how do they fit? And yeah. then obsess about that for a month whilst talking to bros in the similar situation who can give you the down low on it. Yes. Whereby it's, of course, a massive hobby. Yes. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't, I, I, I don't know. Would we even get the Japanese? I mean, do they even produce clothes for women? I mean, when you buy, go, go and research these things, do you sort of, are there women's models in these productions? Well, that's the thing that, uh, I mean, we like to think of these things as sort of unisex work where utility type stuff. But of course, you can call them unisex all you like, but women and men do have fundamentally different shapes. Yeah. And there are places that do make, say, I hesitate to use the word luxury, but high priced, high quality jeans for women. Yeah. But not as much as for men. No. And is that down to the fact that women just aren't keen on paying pretty high prices for a pair of jeans? Well, I don't think that's the case because I do think definitely women do pay quite a lot for their jeans. But I think that when they go to – I mean, I think it is with a lot of things that we, we have a shop that maybe, you know, that has a brand or something that presents itself – to the consumer as this is the place where I'm supposed to go with my identity, you know, oh, this is the shop for my people like me. You know, you look at people around at your workplace or your friends and your sort of peer group and they sort of orientate to what brands are they wearing, what clothes, are they, what shops are they shopping at? And then one goes there, you know, I mean, it's not, I think that's the sort of more normal consumerist attitude to getting these clothes. And then, for me, I go there and I don't find anything, you know, I don't, I mean, I, I might find something that looks nice, but I'm not actually willing to pay that price for that product because it's just not, it's not going to stay nice. And, you know, I can see that this isn't going to last. Um, the, the, the things that, you know, that are on offer there are just not very good. But then, of course, I could, of course, take this into a hobby land, you know. But then it, it touches into this, okay, so I'm sitting there waiting six weeks for somebody to sew me a pair of jeans and then they come and maybe they don't fit. What do I do then? You know. Well, then you haven't done the research beforehand and they haven't been made right. But that, of course, is a problem. Um, and I think pay few jeans are made to order in that way. Um, but men again are a bit simpler so as long as the sizing is it will be okay but I don't know I mean it is nice to try things on before you buy them isn't it at a general level what yes and I have realized of late that if I tried on and got to feel everything I buy beforehand I'd have bought a lot less. Yeah. Because if you're allowed to feel it and try it on before you buy it, you actually know what you're getting. Yeah. But that is a bit of the danger of shopping online. Yeah. Where you can be seduced by the description. Yes. To such a level that you feel your teeth sweating. Yeah. But the reality when you actually receive it might be that, my, damn it, you didn't get the sizing right. Or, damn it, this just didn't fit. Or really, it wasn't really that nice. No, and things like colours, for example, mean a lot to me. So if if it's, I mean, and I just never know what the colour's going to be before it arrives. And and it has to be, you know, now I sound very much more fussy than I maybe look in everyday life. <laughs> One thing is the mental standard, the other thing is what it actually ends up with in real life. But, but uh, 
I mean, colors are endlessly disappointing. I'll unwrap it and then, oh, it's just the wrong color. You know, it's well, that is part of the problem of selling stuff online because I've photographed so much stuff to sell and to show on the blog and so forth. And getting the actual real color right is really tricky. And professional photographers probably do it much easier, but then again, they have all the lights and the gear and the experience and the programs. And, and of course, stuff you see online might actually appear on your screen to be an entirely different color to what it looks like when you get it home. Yeah. I mean, even if they're doing all this professional stuff, I still buy stuff and then it comes and, you know, and also, you know, some, I mean, the touch, you know, the touch of fibers, you know, the tactility of it is also important. So, I mean, these things you don't, you get if you go to physical shop. And I think you're quite right that if we all went to physical shops. So that was one of my, actually, one of my things that I was going to get better at. You know, it was my sort of uh, self-improvement things. I was going to get better at quitting projects and letting them go. And also uh, buying more stuff from physical shops. So that I actually had to had to deal with this whole this kick of buying something new and everything in real time. So no. another thing about buying in physical shops is that the actual sum of money becomes so much more real. Yes. When you see it on the till mm. than this theoretical number you see on your web browser yeah. in the seconds before you hit click. Yeah. Yeah. So true, yeah. But there I've discovered this weird, odd thing that if something's second-hand, for example, it registers as a different sum in my mind. You know, Explain some, that. Well, sometimes I'm looking at sort of things second-hand uh, online and I'll think, that's not so expensive. But then I think, would I pay for the, a new object, you know, for this price? And then I'm like, no, if it was new, I would never pay that much. But <laughs> if it's secondhand, it sort of already is presented in my mind as a bargain. Well, that's I've an got, interesting uh, psychological yeah. I've, I've discovered phenomena. this, and now it doesn't work quite as well as it used to do. But I was sort of looking at carpets, and then I was going like, oh, that's not too bad. And then I thought, wait a second, hold it. If I actually went into a shop, would I spend that much on a carpet? No, that would be something I'd be thinking about for months, you know, uh, gearing myself up. But then I was thinking like, oh, no, but this is some guy, you know, I just drive, get in the car, drive a couple of kilometers and there he is and he'll send it to me. And, then, and somehow that context made everything seem cheap, even though it wasn't. That's kind of like the reverse uh, price um, appreciation dilemma. Yeah. To sort of make up a, a, an advanced sounding psychological. Yes, that did sound like a real syndrome. Yeah. <laughs> because most of the time we are after a bargain. Yeah. We want to uh, get a deal. So you really want to pay full price for something. But if there's a little discount in it, a bit of an edge, you're all over it. Yeah. And especially if it's a massive discount, certainly. We have a saying in this household that at 70% discount, everything goes. I've, I've adopted that one. Yeah, I've adopted that one, but not very, it's very risky. 70% discount, you're basically sifting through the dregs of everything no one else yeah. wanted yeah. and willing to put your hard earned into yeah. buying something that you probably wouldn't have. Never wear. 
No. Had anything else. No. But you know, our mother has a similar saying, but slightly different, which is that uh, what I like is the stuff that's on 50% discount. <laughs> I said, like, what? what's your taste? What's your preference? What do you like? And she said, what I like is on the 50% discount. <laughs> that's a way to be different. <laughs> Should not follow the trends. No. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Turns out quite well for her, actually. I think she has quite nice goes. So, uh, yeah. Not a terrible strategy. But it could be, of course. It could it be could awful. Go, it could be awful. Which sort of brings us around to why do shops buy in so much trash? Why are the, their racks full come same, sales time? Don't they know what they're doing? Well, if you look at these num astounding numbers of how much uh, clothes people throw away every year, it makes you realise that some people go through shops like whale sharks, you know. They're just obviously these huge hover hovering beings that just sort of hoover up clothes and just sort of filter them through, you know, at an astounding rate. That certainly is the case for a lot of the fast fashion that is sold. Yeah. Uh, and you see how much ends up in second-hand shops or charity shops still with the labels on, so it's clearly not being used even. No. But is that buying stuff because it gives a buzz to bring something new home? And oh, it's yeah. not costing them much anyway? Yeah. And I think for some people, I, 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 yeah, I think, you know, there's a sort of that horrible word again, retail therapy. You know, they're, they're a bit bummed out about something and then they want to not feel bummed about. But, and they go to the shops and then they have a good, you know, buy a couple of bags full and it doesn't cost them anything. And then they feel a bit better about everything. Because I do you know, see... A lot of the influencers are into these uh, haul videos where they've either been sent an absolute load of stuff from some retailer or, or they've been out and bought a whole load of stuff. Yeah. Whereby they will then show off their haul. Yeah. So clearly volume is a thing. Yeah. But, I mean, it does... I mean, when I was 12, I, we lived a year, a year in America, but you were already an adult then, you'd moved out. But I got the experience of living a year as a 12-year-old in America. And that was quite the experience when it comes to things like haul and mount of clothes, because Americans at that time, we're talking sort of uh, early to mid-90s, uh, my peers then, my age at school, would never go and buy a single object of clothing. They would always buy outfits. I mean, there must have been people who were not privileged enough to do this at my school, but my school was quite privileged, so there were a lot of people with money. But it wasn't a private school, so it wasn't the really rich or anything. But they talked about buying clothes as buying outfits. That was a general concept. You didn't go and buy jeans. You didn't go and buy a T-shirt. You bought an outfit. You couldn't go home until you bought an outfit. And then, and, and then they'd sort of hang them in the cupboard as, a, as an outfit. And then they'd wear a new outfit every day. Uh, and this, I, as, you know, 
this was such a culture shock. I mean, there was so many culture shocks, but this was such a culture shock for me. This was not how I was used to relating to clothes. I was used to wearing the same. I mean, I was 12, so I wasn't exactly wearing things out or sweating them out or anything. Like that. I was used to wearing things several days in a row. And it was a bit sort of mix and match and hodgepodge. and didn't put a lot of energy in it. And I was not very used to getting new clothes at all, and especially not like in these amounts. But they would go and get several new outfits in one shopping trip. Ah. So I think sort of if we're watching YouTubers from America at least, sort of they just they've just added a few extra steps to that level that they were at in the early nineties already. Hmm. I, I can't say I've been watching these haul, haul videos. I've yes, no, not at all. Not at all. Yes, yes. <laughs> and, and, and I haven't seen any middle-aged men either doing haul videos. Um, they will sit down with their one item maybe and uh, unbox it and talk about it or, or review it or whatever. Yeah. Uh, of course, that would be one quality item. Yes. Circling back to... Uh... <laughs> well, middle-aged men always only buy quality. Yes, <laughs> we all know that. Yeah. Yeah, I guess we can leave that then. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, middle-aged women, I mean, you were saying you just buy trash, wasn't it? <laughs> yes, I just buy crap. I don't buy very much. But, um, yeah, I'd like to know where I could go on holiday and buy good stuff, you know. That, uh, that is there. Uh... So good stuff would be stuff that has a um, – is, is made – quality made, uh, long-lasting, good fabrics, good fit, uh, actually just proper stuff. Just proper stuff, yeah. So if anybody has any tips on where one could go. Um... So I guess in Norway uh... – there isn't that much of that. No, there's not in here. But, you know, at one point in the future, we might be able to travel again. I want, I've sort of thought that maybe Portugal would be a nice place to go and buy clothes. Go to the, all these old-fashioned shops and buy sort of hats and gloves out of drawers and, you know. Yeah. The problem there is that, of course, you don't need that many hats and gloves. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> well, you need are trousers and shirts and... Uh... Some good, good knitwear good and knitwear. Uh, good socks and uh, underwear. Yeah, so maybe somewhere like Scotland, for example. Yes, Scotland is a fine place to go for knitwear. <laughs> yes. And you find fine lamb's wool sweaters at about £100 a piece. And UK-made knitwear is surprisingly reasonable. And depending on how itchy you want it, it can be remarkably reasonable. Uh. But the 100% wool knitwear tends to be a bit itchy. But it's very warm, yeah. very yeah. nice, well yeah. made. Yeah. And that is, of course, another thing, is that you don't want your knitwear too warm. I mean, one thing is if you're actually wearing it as, as an outdoor piece of clothing. But indoor, we want knitwear that is not that warm. I don't know. I'm just expressing my preference here. This is lamb's wool for looks, not warmth. No, but there's a sort of, uh, you know, the merino cashmere lamb's wool that's fairly thin, you know, as opposed to an Aran jumper that looks great, but will send me into some sort of seizure within 20 minutes if I wear it indoors. 
and that's not because of it being itchy, but because it's too this warm. Is too warm, yeah. But I don't know. But the things like, for example, just practical, good quality cotton t-shirts for women nowadays. They don't make cotton t-shirts really. Everything has to be modal or something. I mean, just white t-shirts are a bit tricky for men as well, because most of them are rubbish, and the sort of ones that the, the bros are after. Uh, are sort of ring spun in Japan and cost £100 a piece or whatever. Yeah. And might not last that many washes and still look good anyway. Yeah. Which seems crazy because I remember T-shirts from my childhood that lasted, you know, that I'd get, that had passed through you and our other sibling and then on to me and I'd be wearing them for years. And they were just, Cotton T-shirts. Everything lasted longer when we were kids. Can you remember how long the summers were? Yes. <laughs> but I actually, kid you not, have a pe- a jumper from your old pyjamas from the 70s that I can still wear. bit embarrassingly crop top-ish, but still, I can get away with it slightly. Maybe not anymore if they say it out loud. But it's a pair of Superman cotton pyjamas with Superman on the front. Gosh, I can't even remember them. They're still hanging together. Yeah. I don't well, know how they did it. A lot of stuff was made better before. And part of that is all the synthetics we have today. A lot of it is making things down to a cost. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, where it is made doesn't matter as much as how it is made. Um, I hear people saying, oh, we won't buy anything made in China, but they make iPhones in China. I mean, if you can make an iPhone, you can make pretty much anything, but they won't make it any better than what you're willing to pay for. No. So if you want something made really cheap, then you'll get something really cheap and it will be really poor. Mm. And you have places in England like Primark a lot of the haul videos from the UK are Primark because mm. you can fill a bag really full for not that many mm. pounds at all. But it's going to be poor. And it is a fact of life that if you want something proper, well, you're going to have to pay for it. But there is the thing about going to brands that don't have huge markups and getting yeah. more value for money. Because, How does one uh, know that? Well, one thing is looking out for brands that only sell direct. Ah, yeah. Which is a good hint because a brand that sells direct and sells via shops has to factor in the shop's markup in their direct prices as well. But a a brand that doesn't sell to shops will be able to keep a lot smaller markup Mm. and still make their money. Yeah. And there are a few of those actually showing up for women. Uh, I have I actually. Are, I think there, there are, are a lot more things, small yeah. brands these days, yeah. uh, both for men and women. Um, I know quite a few. Some of them are unisex, some men, some women. Mm. But say going to Gucci or some other fashion brand, you know that they have a massive amount of employees 
massive organization, massive marketing and advertising, and hence they have massive markups. Yeah, and expensive locations with ex- very expensive uh, shops. I mean, the sh- and just having the by paying for the location, you know, they must cost them mm. a fortune. Yeah. yeah. So, so their overheads are massive, and hence yeah. they have to charge huge prices to cover it all. Yeah. And they have share owners, shareholders who who also want their their cut. Yeah. But of course, if it's just uh, say two people who have a workshop and sell direct, well, how much do they need to make on every pair of trousers they sell? So. Yeah. And I have a sort of feeling that maybe in the women's market you have. You have a sort of uh, there's there's very goes from high street fashion cheap stuff to high street fashion slightly more expensive, and then you sort of jump up to sort of Gucci type things, but then you don't get a lot of the sort of uh, more sort of sturdy quality brands in between. Well, you have some, but I think there is a there might be a sort of feeling in the women's wear industry that. Women are willing to pay for stuff. Yeah. So you find brands that are portraying themselves as good, and they are very expensive. But I've always wanted just a shop that felt like a men's shop, but was a women's shop. Like a sort of gentleman's shop, you know, (laughs) where you could get the same, you could come back and then have the same T-shirt there 10 years later or 20 years later, you know. And the same pair of socks, you know, and they'd and they'd be and they'd be dark wood, and you sort of and there'd be this sort of respectful treatment of you, and there'd be all these basics, and then you know that if you find your basic chinos and your basic t-shirt and your basic socks and basic cardigan, you could come back ten years later and buy the same thing again. This is my dream. I don't know if you even find that for men these days. Well, that's um, what's worrying me, that maybe they're you, gone. You will find shops that where time sort of appears to stand still. Yeah. Uh, it could be shops where they really never have sales because it's a typical thing in most shops where by the end of a season they want everything out, mm. either because they need the space or they want to – get them as much money in as they can just to clear it out. But you do have places where they rarely have sales or maybe even never where you can find stuff that, Oh, well, this was made, this was a season four years ago, but it's still there, which I find is interesting because for menswear, I mean, fashions aren't that clear and, you don't really, unless you are sort of a stringent follower of fashion, it doesn't matter. Yeah. So you might find something that was made four or five years ago and you think, wow, that's brilliant. Um, and then you have this sort of very, very traditional places where, I mean, if you went in and shopped, you might actually be able to look like you bought things 50 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> but they're just so traditional because they've always got basically the same stuff. Yeah. Uh, it's like a certain brand of duffel coats that comes to mind where at the end of the season, they're always clearing everything out at massive discounts. And I'm thinking, why on earth are you doing that? In two or three months' time, you're stocking again up on just the same coats. Yeah. Why why did you have to sell them out? You just let them sit there. They're not even changing the colours. 
they might introduce a new color now and again, but it's basically yeah. the same coat. There's a sort of stock time. color yeah. portfolio, and then they're sort of added. Yeah. But, but this is what sometimes touches on, in my mind, I think, and turning over, which comes to both clothes and interiors, which is the idea of something that's a classic. The idea of the classic, the, you know, uh, when people say, oh, just go for something classic, you know. That's an idea that it's really as strange as fashion because someone decides who what is going to be fashion and someone yeah. decides what's going to be the classics. Yeah. And, and 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 particularly in interiors, people always think like classic is the expensive stuff. But then if you look at what was classic 10 years ago and what was classic 20 years ago, it's not the same things that are classic now. So, so, but people think that they're sort of, oh, I, I go to the, the you know, the nice uh, Scandinavian furniture store and buy the nice Scandinavian, uh, usually Danish furniture designer, something, something, made at some sort of time. And that's going to be the classic. But then it's not really, because five years later, the classic has a different color. It might be the same chair, but it'll come out in a different color. And, and it looks dated already. Hmm. So, because it's suddenly it succumbed to fashion. Yes, because we, we, what we're blind to is this sort of weird context of our time, which places things, you know, that no matter what you do, it's still going to look a bit dated 10 years later. Hmm. Now, the odd thing is that even vintage clothes are subject to a similar fashion cycle. Because if you go into vintage shops now, you'll see they're full of flannel shirts, 90s tracksuits, and worn-out jeans. Because that is what is fashionable in the vintage world right now. Sort of norm core thing. I guess it's the sort of norm core, gorp core, dad. I think I think they, some of the people even call it dad style. Uh, I've never seen my dad in it, but no. there you go. <laughs> Our dad has a bit more style than their dad. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, my dad is better than yours. Yeah, yeah, but there's sort of Jerry Seinfeld nineties uh, jeans, early nineties jeans. I, I guess, so, but they're yeah. basically just, just old. But uh, yeah, yeah so that, and that's different from when, when I was a teenager and went vintage shopping, yeah. and it was more seventies stuff, you know, big seventies flowers and and. And 70s Adidas. And... Somewhere there are warehouses full of that shit, just waiting for it to become popular again. Possibly, yeah. I mean, all this stuff is still out there. But what is it we're wearing now that's going to be nice vintage clothes in 20, 30 years? <sighs> I mean, what are we wearing now that will actually last? That yeah. Long? Uh, and stuff is actually being thrown away at such a rapid rate now. And it is actually being thrown away uh i mean in england a lot of clothes are just incinerated because they go in well they either go into a landfill or are incinerated um here stuff goes basically i think to eastern europe for the fibers to be reclaimed and used for insulation uh i don't i think we're actually throwing away clothes at such a rate that no one is able to really keep that much of it any longer um, even here in Norway we're talking 30 tons 30,000 kilos a day being collected by the main charity that collects clothes and 
that is such a pile of clothes you just can't imagine how much it is. God, yeah. But I do see that if you check eBay, you can see that there are a lot of quite nice stuff being sold from Eastern Europe on eBay. So there's obviously people in Eastern Europe who are picking through the clothes that come from the Good West. Good for them. And selling. Good for them. Yeah. But whether, you know, I'm a bit stuck right now thinking, what on earth are we wearing these days? But Yeah, um, I sort of started thinking like things like outdoor wear, because we're in Norway where we do spend a lot of money on things like down jackets. I was going to say Gore-Tex jackets and things like that, but of course they don't last that long. Gore-Tex doesn't last. It uh, that funky sort inside. Of the tape. falls apart. Yeah. Um, and of course, stuff like Gore-Tex does give release more and more microplastics the longer it lives. So, um, plastic clothes, vintage plastic clothes, aren't really a good environmental thing. No. Which opens up a whole whole new can of worms, of course, um, because of all the mixed fibre clothes we are wearing. Uh, are difficult to recycle. Um, there are techniques coming now to manage to take the polyester out of cotton, say, if they're mixed in a fabric. But I don't know how much energy that takes. And with the insane volumes we have again, is it even feasible? The only real way, of course, to make clothing sustainable is to make very, very much less. Yeah. And whilst... These big fast fashion places have uh, made big claims about being more and more sustainable and how they're going to be circular within so many years and carbon neutral and whatnot. I mean, we can't forget that their main, the main reason for them existing is to create profit. And the whole, their whole model of exist, you know, their whole financial model is made, is making these enormous amounts of clothes. And getting them out, and this whole fashion cycle in it, so they'd have to restructure their whole business. Well, basically, they just have to close down. Yeah. And we'd go back to a um, way of making clothes where everything we want will be made for us. Yeah. Which doesn't mean you'll have a little tailor on the corner who says, "Oh, Emma, you want a new shirt? We'll make that for you." In. We can <laughs> add it to your jute. Skirt that you bought made three years ago. Yeah, yeah. but uh, I mean, you have things like 3D knitting now, which is meaning that things can be made to your size to order fairly quickly. Yeah. But this is technology coming to save the world and probably expensive. And of course, it's not creating jobs for all the people in Bangladesh, say. Which means yeah. that, I mean, the whole problem of sustainability in clothes is there's just so many facets of it. Yeah. Uh, there's no simple solution. No. And whatever you say, you will be blamed for something or be criticised another way. Or yeah. It's tricky because, I mean, the people in Africa didn't want uh, all the clothes sent from Europe any longer because yeah. it was destroying their clothes industry. Yeah. Oh. Yes, which sort of brings us back to the why we fantasize about, about apocalypses, you know. Or late-stage capitalism and uh, the revolution, or mm. or why we just want good clothes that last and fit. Yeah. 
and why and we start put, making our own as well and gather the likes on social media yeah yeah <laughs> i don't know where to go from there no, i thought that was a nice end point there it was felt like it was a nice end well, we could yeah. easily just say that. Uh, so I could just say goodbye and you could say goodbye and I can stop the recording. Yeah. And on that happy note, <laughs> thanks a lot, Heather. Yeah. It was great chatting and bye-bye. Bye. And that was all for this week. Thanks a lot to my sister Emma for being my guest and I enjoyed the chat. If you'd like to uh, get in touch with me, Nick Johannesson, host of Gomology, the email address is gomology at willdressdad.com. You can also uh, check out the blog at willdressdad. You can also follow me on Instagram as willdressdad. And you can follow the podcast as Gomology Podcast on Instagram to get a uh, heads up of the latest episode. If I could just say one thing, I'd love it if you left a rating or review on Apple Podcast or even just share the podcast with your friends, even your mum. It's really hard for a small podcast to become known out in the world and uh, everything helps. So thanks a lot and uh, catch you next week. Bye bye.